Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is The Movies That Made Me, with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante. I should we should sort of I guess officially start where um we're talking. I'm really excited. I, I uh, here's one of our guests that I, I just stalked uh, and got on because I'm a fan of his work. Um, and uh, as as listeners of the show know, I'm a giant. In fact, I think I'm yeah. I'm wearing my. Well, you can't see it, it's too dark. I'm I'm wearing my Wrecking Ball tour uh, shirt. Oh, okay, cool. Huge Springsteen fan, and and like a lot of Springsteen fans, first heard of this guy. I think um when he did a short film in um I, I have no sense of time anymore. You tell me it was 2005, I believe you. It was what like 2016 yeah. 2016 did an amazing short it's it's uh it's still on the internet i believe correct yeah um called thunder road you've got to look it up it is both one of the funniest things i've ever seen and one of the most heart-wrenching things i've ever seen one of the most beautiful human performances i've ever seen and one of the greatest almost jerry lewis-esque comic performances i've ever seen and it's all one guy in the same film <laughs> at the same time i can't even um, and, uh, he, he parlayed that into a feature, um, he's kind of based on the short, uh, that does a, a really smart thing. Cause it's, it's built around the short and you actually don't see the short in the feature. Uh, you see sort of the aftermath of it, but, uh, it's an amazing film. Um, and then his next film was Wolf of Snow Hollow, which I really enjoyed. And he's got a new movie out. We were just talking about the beta test. Um, which, as I said, I'm disappointed to find out he knows anything about Hollywood from the inside because I like thinking of you as this just beautiful, naive out there making these wonderful films and you don't need any of this shit here. So, like Werner Herzog in the jungle. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Although he's doing Tom Cruise movies now. So, that's know. right. That's right. <laughs> Uncle Werner has gone Hollywood. Yeah. But, um, very, very psyched to have you, man. And, and congrats on the reception of the new film, which we cannot wait to see. And, uh, I hope, I hope once there are screeners, you'll remember your friends in their podcast. I absolutely will. It's my <laughs> pleasure to be on. So thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, but we've already wasted too much time talking about him and his work. Uh, but I, I, I'd love to, and you sent me a list. Uh, normally I don't cop to that. Um, Joe never sees the list and there's no real Good. theme, Joe. It's just kind of some of his favorite films. And and all I'll say is I resisted the temptation to run out and see the ones that I had not seen because I kind of wanted to uh, let him fire me up. But there's some really interesting stuff here, um, uh, as, as well as a few you've heard of. But um, yeah, I mean, what or or was there, Jim? I mean, was there a sort of central idea behind the the list you sent me, or is it just kind of? I mean, so the movies that I really like are genre fluid films, movies that 
you know, showcase the full breadth of humanity and wield the audience's attention like a roller coaster between the different genres. So I, I mean, the first one on my list is The Burbs, which is my favorite movie of all mm. time. What? Um, what? <laughs> it is, yeah, I cannot tell you how many times I've seen The Burbs. It is wow. one of my absolute favorite movies of all time. Um, it has such don't make eye contact, Joe. I'm just back away slowly. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I'm serious, dude. I'm uh, yeah. You, you think you think we have a stalker on this thing? It's it's me. Um, I uh, I I saw the film for the first time on VHS when I was a child. Um, we had a van that had a TV in it and a VCR, and I ran through that VHS tape a thousand times because it was so funny, and it was a certain type of comedy that I really loved. It was like Italian 60s character comedy rather than punchline driven stuff. Character of art is like something I've tried to recreate a thousand times in any of my writing because he's so rich and earnest and the things that he says and does gives you an idea of how his brain works. Um, and that's something that was so inspiring to me where you can have a character say something that's a measurement that they understand in their mind and it gives the audience an idea of how they think and why that's funny so it, it sculpted me um in in comedy writing be, just from seeing that movie so many times as a child and i watch it every year i, I watch it on my birthday which is halloween every year and i force my friends <laughs> your to birthday is halloween it is indeed wow you don't watch a horror film it is a horror film. It's a oh, well, beautiful horror movie. Yeah. I mean, and when it gets scary, it actually gets scary. It's like inside of the ambulance with the final reveal and the syringe, it goes Dutch, it goes scary. And um, it's also incredibly poignant. It is like a Twilight Zone episode. The, the monologue, a lot of my films have a lot of monologues in them, but Tom's monologue about um, it's us. He says, it's not them. He does the whole thing. The whole movie is based around uh, this paranoia about your neighbors. And then in the end, he realizes that he's the crazy person and that the suburbs are a really terrible place to, <laughs> to terrible culture sometimes. And it can add to paranoia, but then he turns out to be right. And um, <laughs> it's really lovely. It's such a, it's, it's Hitchcockian. And I hate that word, but it is, it is very rare to see that kind of craftsmanship in cinema to this day and watching it, every year sometimes twice a year um i'm reminded of that and i keep going back and trying to trying to live up to that incredible craftsmanship well i don't think we have to add any more movies to that list i think <laughs> you've about covered it we've been talking to jim cummings new films and Test. we'll be back next week thanks know. for having me yeah. that's 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 wild i uh um i i, I need to and that's I earnest I mean that. I mean it, was, that. It, was, it was not a universally popular movie when it was first released because a lot of people just didn't get it. Uh, and although it was, it, it was successful, it made money because Tom had just come off of a, a big, which he was shooting. I think mm -hmm. he went to the premiere of it while he was shooting this. Um, and to me, it was uh, the story is. I mean, everybody has neighbors who are, has a story about the house in the neighborhood that was the kids don't are afraid to go to, and there's somebody with weird stuff going on in there. Um, but in this case, it's it, it, it's a very thin story, but it's a behavioral movie. Yep. It's it's about it's not about the, the the situation. It's about how the characters react to it. And because it was so much of it was improvised, um, and it was shot in sequence, uh, we were able to take the characters into places that, you know, we wouldn't have been able to do if we shot it out of sequence. Um, so it's, it's a, and it's a better movie for it. Wow. I didn't know that. That's cool. So you shot it in like 
in in so like the well, beginning. Well, we were all, we beginning. were in the same place. I mean, it was it was it was the summer. There was a big strike, a writer's strike, and there weren't nobody was making movies. And uh, it, originally, the producers wanted to go out and make it in a real neighborhood. And I pointed out that you know a lot of people in the neighborhood don't like it when you blow up houses, so it was yep. better to do it in a back lot. <laughs> and also, it's it's a back lot movie. It should look like a movie. It should look like a TV series. You know, and uh, and so we we went up to the Universal's. Uh, their their new uh, revamped um, backlot that had been originally on the front lot, but then Amblin moved in and they took a lot of the houses and stuff and plopped them up on the hill and made this sort of faux neighborhood out of it. And it was it was just perfect for us. And so we were able to shoot uh, all summer with nobody but the the trams going by. <laughs> you had to stop for the trams, but because you always do at Universal. Um, but otherwise, it was it was it was clear sailing, and, and uh, I was able to get the writer on the set as an actor, so we could, you know, have the benefit of that. Although it was illegal for him to say anything about the script, uh, but it was it, it just became a better movie because of the way it was made, I think, and the cast. You know, it was, it's very well cast. So, so I live about four blocks from the set. So like now it is the War of the Worlds location and they have the Psycho House right there. But I can look down and see the cul-de-sac. Uh, cool. And it is a weird bit Wait, of film history that I... You live in LA? I, I do. I live... Oh, that's, uh, this is terrible. I, this is just awful. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This you could have had it in Lake person. Hollywood. Yeah, never, that's true. Never, never uh, yeah. Wow. Wow. They're going he's, he's, he's closer to where we record our stuff than, than we are. I know. We could have gone to the studio. <laughs> I, I, I do. I just, I, I think of him as just out, like one of these guys who's out there doing stuff without, without uh, having to be here and put up with all those bullshit. That's true. But both of my features we shot, except for the beta test, which is shot in Hollywood. We shot the first one, Thunder Road in Austin, and the second one in Utah. So it is all on set. Makes yeah. you a regional filmmaker. That's yeah, that's 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 what I was I was looking for that. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, I don't no wonder no wonder there was no question about when the you know normally you send a timeout to these guys. We're like, well, is that PST or is that Ian Hughes? Like, yeah, sure, that's from that's fine. Cool. I'll do it. So he said, oh, this is this is a bummer. But at least at least we started with a good movie. So <laughs> great one. Next, yeah. What is next? next? What is next? Let's see if we have the director here. I have uh, next on my list is Children of Men, which is a masterpiece. Um, I saw Children of Men in theaters in 2007 in Boston and walked out and bought another ticket and went in and watched it again. If not only to see those incredible long takes, the one in the car particularly is (laughs) unprecedented. And it was something where it was such confirmation for me uh, to see because I was such a fan of Tarkovsky and um, Itamama Tambien, that when I saw this one, it really became philosophically this um, this eye-opener that you could incorporate long-take cinematography, impressive long-take cinematography with the kind of Buster Keaton or Jackie Chan-style gags inside of these moments and elevate the cinema and not detract from it, which is what I was theorizing because Tarkovsky goes insane with his long takes. Um, and when I was seeing stuff like Russian Ark, I was like, oh, this could be cool, but I don't, you know, it's not really that impressive. Um, and Alfonso really blended those two so well that it got me off the couch to say, oh, I could I could do this. I don't think I could do Spielberg like or, or David Fincher. I don't think I'd be very good at doing that, but I could definitely do this kind of stuff, the kind of comedy insane violence poignant narratives and um and that movie is so beautifully crafted and unique and rare for that budget range that is a huge 
um, risk for a studio to take to make something that is doesn't have the most happy ending um, and is very dark at times, uh, nihilistic at times. Um, but I really, really loved the humanity of that film. And it was the first movie that made me feel like I could make movies. Uh, yeah, that, that one's special. Um, and I, I, I was really fortunate to first see it. I think it was a DGA screening with, with him there uh, talking about that stuff. And and because everyone, I think, just afterwards, we're all just sort of just dazed, you know, because as you say, you're not used to seeing shots like that with action. You know, it's funny you say gags because they are gags. They're just not gag gags, you know. I mean, those are some dark scenes and people are dying in them and bullets are flying. But but it's that same level of kind of uh, uh, coordination and calculation that goes into these incredibly convoluted things. And it, yeah, just a breathtaking film. And, and 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 it would work. It would be a damn good movie without that. Yes, it's so well performed and it's so like, it, it's so simple where it's like people don't have babies anymore. And there's so many wonderful things that they pull out of that simple narrative of, you know, how the world reacts and the, you know, migrant crisis and all, all the amazing things that come from people being scared. But then they end the movie with this long take of him leaving this war zone because his child died of a flu pandemic um, because he had small lungs and then he's going as this love letter to save this baby. It's so beautiful. And then the soldiers, when he's coming down with the crying baby, stop shooting. And it makes you think that in a normal war zone, the soldiers don't stop shooting when they hear a baby. There's a thousand little things like that, that really make you think about humanity, or at least made me think about that. Um, and I, I guess I, I started this saying it made me think that I could do movies, but rather it was the movie that made me realize that I should do movies because that, that stuff was the, the thing that was hitting me in the heart. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's no, it's wonderful. Are you, are you a fan of that one, Joe? Or are you? Oh, it's fabulous for me. Yeah, his best movie, I think. I think so too. Itamama is really fun, and I go back to watching it usually every summer. And uh, I have that. There's a there's a word for it in Polish, but it means nostalgia for something you you don't have um, mm -hmm. or you never had. And right. that's what Itamama Tambien is for me. Of of I feel like I get to live as a Mexican boy at that age and have a wonderful summer with a, with a smoke show. That summer, that, yeah. <laughs> Babe and road trip. Um, yeah, yeah. I have that with that film and the beach as well. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that Children of Men is probably his best film so far. I, oh, I want to I put a pin in that for a minute because I'm, 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 there are a few of us Oh, who like the beach? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I got onto a podcast called Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong, which is hosted by Rotten Tomatoes, and I defended that film to the end of time. I mean, oh, it's fantastic. got a 17% or something like that on Rotten Tomatoes, and it is so well done. I think a lot of that is because Leonardo DiCaprio had just come off of Titanic, and it was his next film, and it's not a showcase of him being like a lover boy, which yeah. is what the first movie was. And so I think everybody was disappointed in that. Um, but I, yeah, the craftsmanship in that film is so bizarre. And the stuff that I hated about it when I saw it when I was 14, when it came out, uh, the second half of the film now is my favorite part of the movie, which is funny. Oh, really? Yeah, no, because I, I thought I was just alone in the world. I remember seeing that in a theater and going, what is going on here? Why right. is no one? It also has, I mean, it's a brief segment, but... It's always astonished me that for one of the most terrifying experiences you can have in the real world, there are, I mean, statistically almost zero scary shark movies. Yeah. And that has got one of the most terrifying shark sequences I've ever seen. 
It's great. And it's, it's, it's like the, the, I think Alex Garland does that so well. Same thing with 28 days later of where the shark is supposed to be the scariest thing in the movie or the zombies are supposed to be the scariest thing in 28 days later. And it's instead how humans respond to it, where it's like the soldiers mm-hmm. end up being the really bad guys in 28 yeah. days later. And um, the, the tourists end up being the bad guys in, uh, in the beach. Yeah. I think that's a very clever take on what is actually scary about, about yeah. humanity. Yeah. Oh wow. Cool. Um, these, these are good. These are good. We're, uh, we're, uh, if I'm getting too pseudo intellectual, please tell me. Um, no, there I'm was a there comedy was something. Shit. I, was, I was supposed to jump in and and uh, uh, oh oh you mentioned you mentioned Russian artists. You just say for for listeners. Oh yeah. We try not to be those guys too much. Um, uh, I have to admit, I've only seen part of it. It is a single shot movie through. We didn't get and, the full effect then. Uh, yeah, isn't it 3D? <laughs> Am I wrong? It's 3D. Maybe it's, it's not. not 3D. It's, it's shot on. It's shot I mean, on film. Yeah. Okay. But and it's it's, it's but it's you're but in it's, a Russian it's, art museum. It's a shot that runs the length of the movie, and of yeah. course, every time they would do it, and there would be a mistake, they would have to go back and start over. Uh, it's so very it's impressive. So it's it's an impressive technical feat. It's not particularly enlightening to watch or entertaining. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's there's a lot of interesting places that you get to see, but uh, it's kind of a stunt. Yeah. yeah. Was, it, was... In a way that the German film Victoria is not. Victoria is like just nonstop and so impressive in everything that they nail. Um, so yeah, I I know that like Russian Ark was one of the only films that had actually pulled that off at that time. So it became this talking point, and I dug it when it came out. But yeah, looking at what is actually possible with long takes, it's um, it's yeah. been buried. There's there's a great um, in fact our very first guest um, um, uh, wait was he our first guest Joe Miguel Arteta there must have I been believe, our first guest I believe Miguel Arteta was our very first guest a uh, good friend of mine and he had um, just directed a movie uh, starring Leia Costa and and uh, he's a, he's a good friend of mine and I remember I was at the, at the screening afterwards and I came up and I had to talk to her about Victoria and there is a scene and and you can tell there's a scene about halfway through. Um, I think it's okay to tell the story uh, where she runs into a bar and the camera yeah. leaves her for a minute. Cause I was like, what would happen if like, you know, aside from going, oh, we have to go to the bathroom. She's like, oh, that did happen. And she had to go to the bathroom in the bar scene. And she ran behind the bar while the camera is off her. She had about 40 seconds and she just peed on the floor. <laughs> wow. That's dedication. Yeah. That is, I mean, that's yeah. great. That's rather, great. Rather than, you know, go back and reshoot the whole thing. But. Um, they should, I mean, thing. that would have been even better for the film. I mean, that's like a funny <laughs> moment of like, how much stress can you put one person through through the film yeah, yeah. in one night? But that depends on the other actors able to sort of, you know, improv along with that. And... <laughs> oh my God. Gee, yeah, that'd be amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the long take stuff that I, I mean, that, that's what got me into making films. So, so my first film, Thunder Road, is a long take and it was inspired by the long takes of Alfonso's of, um, because it was so impressive. I started that as a producer of animation and when you're doing animation, every hand-drawn specifically, is every frame has to be drawn. It's very impressive for an audience to see that. And then with long takes, that became kind of the transition into impressing an audience in live action. And so... Um, I, I thought that that would be successful and it ended up, you know, starting my career. Basically I, I did 10 single take short films because I was the long take guy. Um, and that just taught me how to edit really. Like now when I'm doing more conventionally edited films, I know how they should pace out and what, you know, the, the art of the conversation is and how, um, how to actually sculpt the conversation to make it realistic. Um, so yeah. Right. Uh, I gotta, how many, how many takes did you shoot of Thunder Road? 
So for the short film, we did six yeah. takes and we used the sixth one that, that, that one I self-financed. So we only had like a six, it was a six hour shoot. And then for the feature, we did 18 takes and uh, we used the first nine takes with the Bruce Springsteen song. And then uh, we broke for lunch and I had to like meditate uh, just to like stop the insanity of what, thinking about what the next half of the day was going to be. And then I did it nine more times and we used the last take of that one because in the room you can feel it like, oh, I think we got it. And then we watched Wait, playback finally. Am I losing um, my mind? But they, isn't that not in the film? No, so so we don't have the the Thunder Road song in it, but the uh, the movie does open with the eulogy. So it's like oh, okay. it's not yeah, the yeah. same as the short yes. film, but it yeah, is one yeah. long take of me right. okay. screwing up a eulogy as a yes. comedy. Um, I, thought I, was, I thought I was losing my mind here. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, cool. What's what's next? Uh, Cretia, which also starts with a long take, and I'm guilty because uh, I was an associate producer on that film, and I got mm. to hang out with. Sorry, we'll skip it. Uh, uh, no, Trey Edward Schultz is a is a buddy of mine, and he opens it with an 11 minute long shot of um, the introduction of the characters in the neighborhood, and then it becomes a single location kind of horror movie, but it's more about a, it's a kind of a drama about a woman relapsing at Thanksgiving, having been away for 10 years. And it is such an incredible film where you can see, you know, you can make a movie like that. Like Dogtooth is all one location and it's just as interesting. It doesn't matter that it's one location. Mm -hmm. And they made that for nothing. And Cretia was made for less than 50 grand, less than 40 grand at the director's mom's house in Texas. And you'd never know. It feels like this huge budget um, production. And it's just, you know, his family acting in the film. Um, and it is a beautiful, poignant movie that's structured a bit like a horror film, um, despite it being about alcoholism and how it affects a family. It's really good. And I think it's on Netflix. It's worth watching. Yeah, I think so. It is. I, and I'm, I'm hearing my friend Dan Waters, who listens to the show, uh, screaming, I told you to watch that. He, he raved about it back then. I just somehow haven't. And, and that was like the top of the list of your stuff. That I was like, God damn it, I need to see. But I wanted to hear you talk about it first. So. Dan, you're right. It's a masterpiece. And <laughs> yeah, Josh doesn't know what he's talking about. He's got to see this movie. It's I'm, so good. I'm, it's next up. It is next okay, up. Good. Did you see it, Joe? I have not seen it. It's oh, great. Oh my God. We, we stumped us both. Really funny and really poignant. It's it's still new. It came out in 2015, I want to say. But that was the that was the movie that after being a producer for six years, I saw Trey doing it. And he got up to, he won the grand jury prize at South by Southwest in a backpack and flip-flops. And I was like, Oh, I could definitely be him. Like I could, <laughs> I could like I, you know, it doesn't take much. Like you'd be you could dress like that and be a director. So uh that's what got me into the director's chair. Um the next one is a popular one. It's Inside Out, the Pixar film, ah. which is unbelievable. Um, uh, it's the first Disney movie I've seen that really doesn't pull punches. There's a suicide in the film, and it, it is so graphic and um, beautiful, and it's a kid's movie. And it's about depression and using sadness as a tool to help yourself get through things. And I think it's so important to me because it's a movie that is disguised as a kid's movie as a Trojan horse to give people ammunition for when they're going through hell. Mm -hmm. And um, it's like a Springsteen album or something like that. It is so poignant and so um, helpful and to help to like teach kids how to use their own mind and what's going on inside of the brain. I, I don't know any public service announcement that's better than this film and um, it's beautifully crafted as well. Yeah. And, and ridiculously entertaining. 
It is. It's very, it's very I funny. feel like we're talking about a movie that no one's seen or heard of. I mean, obviously, pretty much we all know that, but yeah. Good. It's, um, uh, yeah, that's a lovely film. And, and even, even as good as Pixar movies generally are, um, yeah, I was surprised by that one. Yeah, it's funny. We're like that. That still is the high watermark for me of of Pixar. Where I know everybody loves Toy Story and um, you know Finding Nemo and you know, all of their films. Wally's incredible. Well, the but first Inside Out of Up, I would say, are probably yeah. Up it's pretty brutal. Up is yeah. That's another one where it's like, oh my god, I can't believe they're doing this in this movie. And um, and when we were doing Thunder Road, I realized that that was the audience that I wanted to hit. Most of the people that I was talking to about these movies were all adults. And they were talking about animated films, the mm-hmm. Pixar films, but they were appreciating it not because it didn't have cursing in it or it didn't have violence in it or whatever. They're appreciating it because it had this like incredibly heartbreaking humanity while also being funny, like a Vonnegut novel or something like that. And um, and I realized that there's this like hole in the market. It's very difficult to do that to like execute that tone and and come at it from the right perspective. Um, but I realized that that was like one of the few things that I was good at was like imagining where the audience is going to be and you know if you're going to do something heartbreaking also put in some stupid bullshit to kind of make people laugh and then you got to laugh for a couple of minutes and then you get to do more heartbreaking stuff um inside out does that so beautifully and um because the film is also about emotions you kind of forget through the craftsmanship of the cinema uh, that like you're crying and laughing at the same time. And then you're analyzing that you're crying and laughing while watching the film about that. It's a really profound experience watching it. I hope to, I hope that my next few movies, we're doing a movie about movies next. Um, and I, I want to do something like that, a love letter to not necessarily the brain and people, but to movies themselves. That's yeah. Wow. Um, uh, I, I got nothing. I mean, that, that you put it so beautifully. I just, I, that, that and I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm trying to think, because I can usually recall at least one or two conversations with a kid about a Pixar film. I don't think I've ever talked to a child about that one. I'm like wondering if children even saw it. I have, I have several nieces. And when my niece, Sydney, was about eight, maybe seven, I was talking about Inside Out and how beautiful a movie it was. And I was like, oh, and you know, when, when Bing Bong dies, it was really beautiful. And she says, uh, oh, he didn't die. He just disappeared. And I was like, that's right, honey. And then she's like, you know, <laughs> they quietly cry in the corner. Um, but it's, oh. it, it was so funny to have that. Right? I just had to keep telling her, yep, he just disappeared. But she was profound to that. It was a bit, a bit Buddhist of like, oh yeah, yeah, well, when people die, they just disappear and that's it. I, and, uh, you know, where's the lie? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Point. Yeah. Uh, wow. <laughs> uh, to move on, let's see. Uh, the, the next one I have is Rosemary's Baby, because obviously um, it is... Joe hates that one. You hate Rosemary's Baby? No, he doesn't. Kidding? I think it's a perfect movie. <laughs> it is so good. John Cassavetes in it is so, so good. And um, that's a difficult character to pull off. I just watched a movie that I really didn't enjoy called False Positive that is, you know, stealing stuff from Rosemary's Baby. I guess everybody steals stuff from Rosemary's Baby. I can't I have to blame myself if, if we're doing that game. Um, but it really is a masterpiece in, in the psychological thriller aspect. And to see um, what he was able to do going from repulsion, which I think is like too far along the spectrum for me and general audiences, to then move into this like broader, terrifying detective uh, Satanist story is just, it's so great. And 
every little moment in that film gets you paranoid. And then the payoff is just so strong and funny. One of my favorite comedy moments in any horror movie is when um, at the end, she's realizing that the coven is real and the cult is real. And they don't have to put this in the movie, but they have the the Asian American photographer and he's like talking about taking the picture and he's pantomime taking a picture of her and he's like smiling about it. And it's like a hilarious punchline in this thing of like, she doesn't want to have her picture taken right now. Her, her son is the devil's son. It's like, this is an insane moment to it. But you're laughing out loud at like the, just the comic, you know, disparity of what, what well, it's, it's the normalcy of the, of the, of the coven. <laughs> that's so funny. You know, true. I mean, the casting and the playing of it is like, these are people that could be in a different picture. You know? Yeah. And instead, but they're all warlocks. You know? Yeah. It's so great. It's so great. And to do that, I mean, to see Rosemary's Baby and then to see the burbs where like art is trying to talk about them being this like, you know, cult of ghouls. I knew it. They're ghouls. Um, that stuff is so funny. And it's like, it's it's living inside of that same tradition of like, clearly this guy watched this movie too much. And then like, is imagining that all of this is happening. And then it becomes true. It's really... It's it's such a funny thing. You can wield that that idea of the other and your neighbors. Um, the, that kind of neighbor horror is so also in the same genre as comedy. Um, yeah, I think it's I, I think it is a perfect film. It, Joe, were you um, was that when you were involved with sort of from from Jump or was it a script that came your way? Rosemary's Baby. No, I, I turned that down. Of course. Oh, okay, all right. That's I, right. I, I yeah. was in high school. I think. Yeah, um, I'm the burbs. No, the first I, I was no. It was a it was a script called Bay Window that uh, had been written. Uh, it was going to be Imagine's first foray into producing, wow. and uh, they were con- they were insistent that it was a Hitchcock movie, a Hitchcock homage. And I said, well, except for the fact that the guy looks out of his window once <laughs> at the beginning of the movie, you know, I don't really think that's the way you want to go with this. Um, and so it went through a lot of iterations. But no, I was I was on it fairly early. Because I just something Jim said there. Because I, I I have this thing. It's it's uh, the, the fear of neighbors. You know, yeah. It's uh it's um, I mean I, I I lived I lived in my home for many years before I met my wife and then she moved in and she had a dog and so by by necessity I've met tons of my neighbors and they're lovely people but there's always that moment of like oh god what if they're monsters and it somehow yeah. it had never connected that with the burbs but yeah it's it's I think that's a very primal thing well it's if we've been able to make the burbs in the Dakota that would have would have uh, the, up the budget quite a bit <laughs> it'll be all interiors I was uh I was in New York this is a really weird non sequitur but I drove past the Dakota um I was in a van with my whole family and uh we were driving past central park and um, my mom said this is the dakota building and i said that's where they shot rosemary's baby and my mom said no that's where they shot, they shot john, john Lennon. <laughs> oh god mom. and then it was quiet as could be in the car and it was like you hear the radio and we just slowly drove past this spooky building and there are people outside taking pictures it was really really frightening yeah generational gap i guess yeah well this is the second time you mentioned it um um although that's funny because rosemary baby is an older film you'd think i don't know uh, did did you did you did you grow up in a van, Jim? <laughs> uh, I forgot I, I, to ask about that earlier. You had a I van lived, with a TV in it where you yeah, watched so, movies. I was so yeah. My dad was like big and so I have I have two siblings. I have five sisters and two brothers. Some of them half, some of them whole. And so we needed like big vehicles. And mm-hmm. we had a farm in Mississippi. 
uh, that we would go to basically every weekend. And then I lived and grew up in New Orleans. So we would like kind of drive back and forth and this would kind of like all go as a family. And so I don't know how we talked my dad into getting a VCR and a, and a TV put into this thing. But that was my first real introduction to watching movies. It was, it was never TV. It was always like VHS tapes of different movies and stuff. So it was um, in the back of the van? It was in the back of the van. Yeah, you could like put the seat all the way back and then just like have it be a cinematic experience. You can plug in headphones. It was like a whole whole ordeal. And so you were getting driven around. Yeah, I mean, I was like, you know, six or seven. I was sounds, like, yeah, this a child. Like paradise. It was know. a, it was so dope as a kid. It was like to go to McDonald's and also watch a movie. It was yeah. really cool. Um, but I was never allowed to watch movies like Rosemary's Baby. That took until high school, and uh, there was a blockbuster walking distance from my house or biking distance from my house. And so I'd go to Blockbuster and come back with like bags of DVDs and just like you know go through two movies a day. And Rosemary's Baby was one of the first ones that I really fell in love with, and I've seen it a thousand times because of that. I would just like. And it's such a personal film, too, because it's a weird detective story and you associate so much with Rosemary um, and her struggle and paranoia that it's such a personal film to you where you're like you're watching this girl get you know abused in these microaggressions throughout the entire film. And so you're, you're very close to her as a character. Um, and that was the first time I really fell in love with like a horror detective story where um, everything pays off in that film. Every tiny thing pays off. And to have her talk to um, Dr. Hill and say like, he came home from work early one day and he was still wearing makeup and he never does that. It's like all these tiny things that the audience might've noticed throughout the film that is then paid off. It's very satisfying. Um, yeah. yeah, I really love that film a lot. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply um Here's another one, another old one. Uh, Seduced and Abandoned, uh, the Pietro Jeremy film from Italy. I don't know if y'all have seen that one. It, I have not. I oh, you dude, oh, yeah. I, oh, yeah. I, well, that was, I that was big that. on the art house circuit. Okay, was, cool. Uh, yeah. I can see a lot of um, that ensemble comedy and character comedy in your work. And uh, I, I assumed that you would have seen that film. It's one of my absolute favorites. It is it is so funny to watch that father struggle to maintain the family's pride. So Josh, the, the, the conceit is <laughs> it's, so, like, it's so Italian. It's really. so Italian. <laughs> it is so amazing. It's like this smaller town um, outside of one of the metropolises in Italy. And there is this like 16 or 17 year old daughter. And uh, uh, she's a, be- she's a beauty. She's like the, the most beautiful woman you've ever seen. And, uh, and then like her other siblings are pretty bulky, <laughs> like pretty, pretty, pretty pudgy girls. And uh, so she becomes this like beauty of the town and she gets impregnated by, um, I guess, raped by this guy who is her uh, sister's fiance. And she's actually in love with him, but can't tell anybody. And it's all of these kind of situational comedies where the father is trying to preserve the honor of the family and the lengths that he goes to make sure that the town doesn't know that his, da- his daughter at this time was, um, was having sex outside of marriage. Uh, it's just such a wonderful depiction of what it's like when a society is run by men and how terrifying that is for every woman. And <laughs> 
it's a comedy. It's and it's so poignant and so funny. And um, yeah, I love it so much. So much so that I've gone back through that director's work, who is also a, an actor. He was a writer, actor, and director. And you can barely find any of his movies in the United States. None of them are translated. So I'm trying to bully the Criterion Collection into letting me do that right now. Um, yeah. What What else has he done that would be? Let's see. Um, he made he made a few films. He made. Uh, he made a bunch of comedies in the 1950s and 1960s. He made uh, Divorce Italian Style. I think right. that's right. Okay, sure. Yeah, um, yeah. Divorce which, was, Italian. which was a big hit, actually. It in was. America. It was. Um, and it's also really funny because he was buddies with Fellini. And so in that film, there's a moment when La Dolce Vita comes out in theaters and it becomes a plot, point, a huge plot point in the mm-hmm. movie. It was just like he's just helping his buddy out promoting this movie. Um, it's really funny. Um, because yeah, I needed that. He needed that. Moment. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, but it's nice to see that kind of fraternity and, and yeah. camaraderie in that time period. Absolutely. Um, Seduced and one of my absolute favorite favorite movies. And, um, and it is, if I can, uh, it is available on, oh, it's Criterion. Good Lord. It is. The Criterion it is. is it just a DVD, not a Blu ray. Um, and uh, hey, Joe, guess where they've got it? Where? <sighs> Take two. Hey, Joe, guess where they've got it? We have a sponsor. Oh no, not not movies unlimited. You don't say. That's a tough movie to come by. What a, what I can't a, believe they got it. No, no, they're 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 great. They 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 dig into the treasure trove of things that no one else will touch. That's right. They have everything. They have everything. Well, that's what's so great about movies unlimited. They. <laughs> they're able to go through and f- dig through the crates and find wonderful films that are culturally and socially significant from all over the world and showcase them for modern audiences. What Movies is, Unlimited. What is reading? <laughs> <laughs> like a bit of Alan Partridge. Um, okay, uh, wow. moving on. So yeah. uh, the next one is an, is an animated film. Uh, I thought I'd help you guys out there for a second. Uh, fantastic. Uh, the, the, the next film is a weird one for me. Uh, it's called My Beautiful Girl Mari. And it's a Korean animation that played in Cannes, I want to say in 2002 or 2003, and nobody's seen it. But it is such an incredible showcase of sound design and music. And um, it's about this, uh, these two guys who are good friends as kids that had this like crazy experience uh, living in a fishing village uh, in South Korea. And it's them as kind of like older guys. And then they meet up for drinks one night. And it's kind of awkward. And then it goes into the movie of what their experience was like. And I just see it as this like really beautiful meditation of what it was like growing up in a fishing village in South Korea. And it just reminds me so much of summer and being a kid and, um, and, uh, and being a shithead. And like, that's, that's okay. And, uh, and that's very true to my experience of being a, a 14 year old. Um, but yeah, it's a really lovely movie. And, and wait, I you, always you say- You saw it was at Cannes? No, I oh, saw yeah. it, I was, you know, 14 when it came out, 15 when it came out. And I got it uh, by digging through the crates at a Blockbuster and it had a DVD release and I saw it and I'm still trying to find it in HD. I've never seen it in HD, but it is a really, really beautiful film. Mm. Yeah, and I, also, I don't know it at all. The the animation isn't great. It's a weird thing to say that, but like it's two, it's half two D, half three D, and it's kind of weird to to look at, but you get used to it. And uh, it's another movie that I watch once a year just to remember how important sound design and music is. Well, the animation in Rocky and Bullwinkle wasn't great either, but it was a great show. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Boy, the most depressing thing in the world was going back, uh, having not seen the show since I was about six, and um, um, having loved 
But I gotta say, it's finally, it's getting, it's getting its due. Finally, I was one of about nine people I think who loved the Wachowski Speed Racer. Yeah, I remember going. I was oh, let me go back. I was one. Yes, and 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 boy, that cartoon is not. Um, it's, there's about <laughs> cartoon. I mean, it's like seven drawings. No, no, no. With it's, somebody it's, just it's, holding it's, them and shaking them, and it's very <laughs> typical of those import cartoons. I mean, there's as little animation as could possibly yeah. be done. You know, it's not clutch cargo exactly, but it but it yes. it, 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 it it aspires to be. Yeah, almost. but but as, as a child, it was like I felt like it was in 3D and fluid and everything was just amazing. <laughs> and then you grow up. Uh, by the way, Jim, you are you are a younger gentleman. Do you even do you know Clutch Cargo? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Oh, okay, I never know because I like anybody who doesn't know it, just Google it. And and I apologize in advance for the horror that is about to come your way. <laughs> those lips, those weird lips. I just can't. Um, let's let's let's. Uh, but that that's I will have to track down my beautiful. I'll, in fact, I'm going to find an HD version of it now. That's oh, please, if you find it, send it to me. I've had to reach out to the animation company and uh, still couldn't get a copy of it. But. Damn um, it. But speaking of the Wachowskis, uh, my next film is The Matrix, oh, which nice I segue. saw when it came out. There you go. Um, Good segue. It, it is unbelievable. Uh, obviously, I shouldn't have to say that, but... What's, um, what's it about? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me what it's about. Just a, just a couple, couple of sentences. That'd be great. Um, it, is such a, it is such an incredible experience. Um, and... What's amazing about that film is that when people ask me what my favorite movies are, it sometimes takes me a while to remember that The Matrix is a movie and not this incredible living experience that mm. I had when I was 14. Right. And <laughs> movies. Um, but, the, but cinematically, obviously, it is, it's unprecedented still. It had like in maybe Mad Max Fury Road, but probably not. It is still such an incredibly unique movie. Um, there's that moment in it that I, always, that I think about a lot but the moment where uh, he's got to save Morpheus, they do the slow bullet time of him firing the Gatling gun through the thing. Morpheus is running and he gets shot through the wall and he jumps and then Neo has to jump out of the helicopter while it's still flying and the bullets are falling and they clutch each other. And then the, the agent is shooting the tanker, mm. the fuselage. You can see it while I'm saying it, right? Yeah. And taking off and then they have to land on the roof and roll and then he realizes that this girl that he loves isn't going to make it. And instead of unclicking the thing, he doubles down on the rope and holds onto it. And then it crashes into the building and the ripple effect something you've never seen in film before. And then he pulls her up and the music is going, wah, wah. and then Morpheus is walking up behind this guy, pulling this girl up the building with this rope. And he's realizing this is the one, this is the guy I've been waiting 30 years for cinema. It's like, there's just no topping that it's like, that that moment when I was seeing it as a kid, I've watched the movie a thousand times since. But I had that kind of craftsmanship, that kind of excitement of of making movies. Um, I just see as completely lacking in even big movies that are happening right now. There is there's this this kind of like um, drought or this famine of that mm. kind of filmmaking that I haven't seen since 1999. And um, I don't. Also, that's an idea film. You know, in addition to being a, a razzle dazzle action film with great effects and great thrill ride stuff uh all the movies now are basically thrill ride stuff without the content yeah it's funny thinking about that of like talking to you know you you couldn't talk to a trucker about what is reality but you could talk to them about what the matrix is and like yeah. that's a that's a funny yeah. thing it like it teaches people um like a, phil a philosophical idea while also being this trojan horse of guns and lobby scenes you know 
I mean, I, I even have a friend in Philadelphia who teaches a philosophy course uh, to high school students, and then they use the Matrix. And, um, and it's great. It's, it's yeah. My my favorite is still he had a student who who wrote a paper, um, laying out the case. And I guess I've heard this a couple of times since then. But he makes a very. It's like it's actually right. It's like Neo's the bad guy. Huh. Like oh yeah, you, you, you can make that case. <laughs> Oh, That's it's, a pretty, it's a pretty groundbreaking movie, and obviously it was a it was a hard act to follow. Yeah, well, they've done some amazing. Well, yeah, with the other Matrix films. Yeah, the other Matrix films are sort of like what exactly yeah. are we doing here? I my guess, I have no inside knowledge whatsoever, but it always felt like it was like you have to make a sequel to to this film. It, it, it did not feel like they were sitting on top of these ideas that they wanted. I'm I'm looking forward to the next one because I get the sense also that they're like, hey, we have an idea. Yeah, they but, just wrapped the the fourth one. I think, yeah, which is crazy. Yeah, Shot it partially during COVID. Kind of psyched about that. I saw it. I can't. I think probably seeing it at fourteen would be even better. But I saw it. Um, I was with, hanging out with some friends one night, and whatever it was we were going to do, it sort of fallen through. And I remember going, "I got a couple of passes in this Keanu Reeves movie that's coming out in a month." <laughs> What is it about? Ah, it's like some computer thing. We're all like, oh, Christ, what is it? Johnny Mnemonic 2? And we're like, yeah. oh, I think that. And we went off to this screening room to literally like nothing better to do. Let's just go sit in the back and watch this crappy movie. <laughs> oh, fantastic. I love that. It was my, fantastic. Uh, and then for my, a month, we're telling everybody nobody believes us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to <laughs> see this movie. Um, yeah. My buddy, Danny Madden, who's also a filmmaker, has the best story of it. He was 13 when it came out, maybe 12 when it came out. And he has a younger brother who's four years, five years younger than him, and uh, an older brother who's two years older. And his dad went to Atlanta. They live in Peachtree City, Georgia, 45-minute drive. And uh, his dad went and saw The Matrix. And he got out and used a payphone to call his wife and said, get the boys in a car and drive them to Atlanta. We're going to go see this movie at 7 p.m. And he took him to go see it. And that was like, he was like, you're going to flip out. This movie's unbelievable. Um, and that, and it was like, it was the best experience as a dad. It was just like, I, I get to say, I watched the matrix with my dad, who is the first fan of it. That's uh, good it's like, parenting. It yes. Is. It's very good parenting. <laughs> we all aspire to be that kind of parent, to be Kevin Madden. Um, uh, the next one on the list, obviously is Fight Club, uh, which I saw a hundred thousand times only when it came out on DVD. So um, again, another film that has a huge cult following that didn't do very well um, in its initial release, but it sold more copies as the, dual box set dvd than it ever did ticket sales and it is such a masterpiece of craftsmen of cinematic craftsmen of like craftsmanship of like tyler is a projectionist in the film at times it's one of his side jobs and they they mess with the medium of film and still keep the audience engaged the entire time it makes the movie better um doing those tiny magic tricks and when it came out I, when i saw it the first time i was probably 15 maybe 14 and it was just so cool. And I didn't know what that was. I hadn't seen that really uh, on film. I hadn't seen that transcend. Um, everything that I was watching was like Disney Channel. And anytime I had a cool guy or the Fonz, you know, it was never getting beat up and, you know. Uh, but I think it also is like a, a great comment about toxic masculinity and, um, you know, a culture of, a cult basically of these, you know, meatheads. Um, but it's it was really cool and the split personality stuff was really neat the music is unbelievable you you can watch that movie you turn on that movie and at a certain point you just get hypnotized by it and by the time you wake up you're like oh the movie's over oh my what i had stuff to do today you know it's like it's such a it's such a well-made film um yeah i really love that film a lot well i'm actually i'm really glad you brought it up because i was just today i was editing an episode that will have run before this one does uh, where fight club came up and i, I made a comment about 
there is a there is a sect of Fight Club fans um, that is a certain type of actually kind of the, the meathead characters in the film. And I didn't hear you at the time, Joe, but there was this sort of, uh, Joe says, I hear Joe going, well, I liked it in a, in a way that made it, and I realized, oh, it sounds like I'm saying everybody who likes Fight Club is one of these meatheads. And so I'm very, this is only a couple hours ago. I'm sure Joe has been nursing his wounded feelings for weeks, but Joe, I like Fight Club too. It's a good movie. Well, yeah, no, Joe and I meet in the basement every Wednesday and have a Fight Club, so. Exactly. Uh, not anymore, you talked about it. <laughs> oh, that's right, it's first rule and second rule. Um, uh, next one is a documentary, uh, Amy, the Amy Winehouse A24 documentary. Well, that's what that, I'm looking, because it's, impo- I'm looking at the thing, I'm like, what is Amy? It's like, it's impossible, you know, you go on the AMD, oh, of course. Amy of course. is not Amy. only one of the best documentaries I've ever seen, it's one of the yeah. best movies I've ever seen. It's so uh, it is so, so, so good. It is so beautiful and heartbreaking and funny. And there's no way to watch that film without falling in love with that woman. She is, yeah. and, and to look at her, for, so first off, just the, the, the cinema of that film is they don't do talking heads, they'll do narration. And then they show footage of her chronologically exclusively. So it's like her life story told chronologically. And it's all like mini DV, high eight footage of her growing up and then interviews about that. And then, it's it's such a beautiful love letter to this incredible artist and they show her recording songs that have gone you know triple platinum quadruple platinum now with like mattresses around her and a microphone and it's like that's yeah. how she made her music and it was not glamorous but you can record um masterpieces with stuff that you have in your living room um that yeah. was really deeply inspiring to me and the there's her meeting her hero tony bennett and that, that whole I was about to narrative say that is sequence. Oh, cripplingly yeah. tragic and beautiful and um yeah it it moves me just thinking about it i have a poster of her in my office and i i you know wish her happy birthday every year she it was such and, and just at the time you know now watching all of these musicians become famous and they don't write their own music it's all you know these giant record labels that are making pop music and she was she actually wrote her music if you look up Katy perry writing music it's a joke nothing comes up there's no (laughs) photographs of her writing her own music if you look up amy winehouse writing music there's a thousand of them i will say it's a pretty good documentary it's it's not a knock to say it's not amy but um um you know, I, I knew some of her stuff a little bit, uh, but but the Billie Eilish documentary will um, is it great? It's it's really good. And the thing that knocks me out is, um, and I guess I sort of knew this, but I had really you know I'm not I'm not 14 was sort of my attitude. She's an amazing writer. Um, her brother's an amazing producer. They do it in their living room. <laughs> I mean, it's and then when you see her, like I I actually this is quite, like I want to go see her live in concert. It's it's because her connection to the audience is so clear and sincere. She obviously knows that she is them and they are her. Yeah. And and it's just it's an incredible. Uh, it's really worth seeing. But it reminded me kind of Amy Winehouse in that fact. It was like here's a genuine artist coming out of this you know incredible awful business that crushes these people. Yeah, it's rare. It's terrible that that's rare. But I I think. In the same vein with with filmmaking, I guess I'm living proof of it that you can make stuff in your garage, and if it looks entertaining, if it looks like what the competition is, you'll win the competition every time. Like I think so much of the industry in both music and film 
relies on making you feel inadequate so that you are their subordinate rather than their competition. And the technology is just burying that as a argument now, like the fact that you can make stuff on your own and become your own movie studio, um, is just going to change the game. And I hope people start acting that way. I don't know when it changed. I used to go around and, you know, I would talk to, um, you know, go off and talk to colleges about screenwriting. And for years, and I, I firmly believe I was correct. Tell me, you know, for a long time, it was like, people would be like, well, is there a way to sort of break in without having to go to LA? And be like, no, you, know, you gotta go. You gotta go to LA. And now it's like, I don't even know why, you know, do you have an iPhone? You know, do you have, yeah. do you have $75? Do you have friends who are talented? You absolutely don't need to be here. You know, you can do it anywhere. That's again, that's why I'm so disappointed talking to you, Jim. Um, <laughs> hell are you doing in LA? This is terrible. And now I got to get out of here. I should take, I'm a pack up tonight. Um, I had this weird, there's parties. I don't know why. Again, it was like, the party was like, is this guy a Mormon? I have no idea why I thought that. I thought you were <laughs> I'm dressed like one a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, what's, what's next? You have one more, I believe, right? Or you, uh... Uh, that's it. Yeah. Sorry. I'm doing 11 uh, rear window. Uh, same kind uh... of thing. I'm sorry. I like to say that, but like rear window is, is so is very similar to the burbs. It is so wonderful in that it be, it is very funny. It's about neighbors and suspicions about them. And it's about um, just this lovely couple. And uh, it's, it's so it's, it's it's like it's so passing the test of time i was watching it with my niece um at christmas one year it was the whole family comes and we're watching rear window and the moment comes up where grace kelly points at the ring she's hiding it behind her back and then it's a close-up through the lens the telephoto lens and jimmy stewart's looking through the lens and then it goes from her up to up to thorwall and he you see him look at the ring and then look directly into the lens and my uh. niece who is eight goes no <laughs> and i was thinking i was like he got her. That was 70 years ago. Yeah. And he got yeah. her with that yep. bit. And it's amazing. It's just, it warmed my heart that like, this is something that if you can, if you can do the setup and pay off, right. The jokes still work. The punchlines yeah. still work. Um, yeah. And that one of uh, where he's talking to his masseuse and, and he goes, oh, what could he be selling at midnight? And she goes, flashlights. It's like so many wonderful <laughs> It, it, it's a terrible horror movie. Uh, it's like a really scary horror movie, but it, it can still be funny. And then also really endearing. I hate to keep you know harping on about it, but the moment when Thorwall comes in and he comes into the door and he closes it and it's pitch black and he has the flash, you know, the camera with the flash on it. And Thorwall says, uh, "What do you want? You want money? I don't have money." And it's this tragic moment of, "Oh my god!" Like it is. He's he's actually sympathetic in that. Yeah, yeah. That's a feel. weird, weird moment for a mo- yeah, and. and and beautiful and you don't have to do that a screenwriter you know as a director you yeah. don't have to do that you can have him be the bad guy and instead it's really disarming that's how a human responds when yeah. they're trapped well, and his it's... wife was his wife was obviously a shrew and she was treating him very badly and uh, he was miserable and uh and so he got rid of her it's <laughs> you know, Joe, you're, you're, not full sympathy. To, you're not supposed to do that Joe. i didn't have that much sympathy for him but <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah he's the he's the hero we do not he endorse the, the the, the no. statements of the host Come on, he, became a, he became reflect. a famous but, lawyer the next year so he, but i but i agree with you that that's that that's a thing where you it's important to have if you're filming an argument to have both parties be right David Fincher said that, but it's true. When the, when you finally meet the bad guy and you have to have a conversation between the good guy and the bad guy, the good guy has to question whether or not he was right to do this in the first place. Yeah. And and that is such a, a rare and wonderful thing and a risk to do 
uh, for audiences, but it pays off. It's so great. Well, because there's a weird, like Jimmy Stewart looks, he's, he looks ashamed to have been caught, not, not just frightened that he'll get murdered. It's like, oh, shit, I got caught peeping. Yeah, also, I'm in somebody else's business. I have no right to do this. Yeah. And it's like he realizes that only when he's confronted about it, which is such a wonderful thing. Um, yeah, I, I think that that movie is is so masterfully crafted. Um, that's my that's probably my favorite of his. That and Jamaica Inn, but but I really love um, Jamaica Inn. Jamaica really. Inn. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean Charles Lawton, funny funny well, bad I'll, guy. I love Charles Lawton too, but I, I mean, he doesn't save Jamaica Inn for me. Oh, I love Jamaica Inn. It's so it's so there's so much dramatic irony in that where when you re, when the audience realizes that Charles is the best. Spoiler alert! I guess the movie came out a hundred years ago. It's okay to talk about. That's right. No uh, one. It's the one. It's the one Hitchcock picture that people really don't watch. But it's really great, and he is so funny and boisterous and all over the place and he, I mean, he's Charles Lawton um, but then when he becomes the bad guy he's so villainous and comical and um, I just love that whenever the bad guy's a funny guy it um, it, it warms my heart <laughs> have either of you Joe have you seen that somebody did a, an amazing sort of montage where they took they created the view out of Jimmy Stewart I have window. seen that yes. I have seen like, that it's every, every shot of the well, movie it's, it's, sort of it's, stitched it's, together well I also the sound itself is pretty amazing uh, yeah, I mean it's it's a whole soundstage that goes all the way around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's got all the little cubby holes and all the little rooms, and it's got a street outside. It's 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 really quite impressive. It's an amazing thing, and you can just spend so much time. You talk about a movie that doesn't have to go anywhere. I mean, it can't. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's just and and who hasn't lived somewhere where you have a view out the window of your neighbors? Who gives a shit? Yeah. But there's something about it that that's so. I guess because every window has something going on and you're turned into that that peeping Tom, right? Is that Yeah. I think I think that's another like sign of incredible cinema mastery of to create a fake place that then people still see as a real spot. That they can if you were asked to draw that that, you know, back area of rear window or yeah. the cul-de-sac in the burbs or the parasite house, you could do it. And the same thing with Parasite House. There was only one level of it, and they comped the rest of it. And although you yeah, can you, see I've Parasite, seen the, if, if you see the footage, uh, it's amazing. Almost the entire picture is an effect. It's they unbelievable. Built, they built so little. Wait, 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 wait. Parasite. Yeah, dude. Parasite. The, so Parasite. I know Parasite. I love it. So dude, it's all I had. That, the house that's, not is a, fake. that's not a real neighborhood. It's not a real house. Dude, look up Parasite VFX Real. And I don't want to know. Oh, yes, you should. No, it's actually impressive. <laughs> no, I do. It's very impressive. It's, it's incredibly it doesn't impressive. Explain, it doesn't explain why the maid came back, but <laughs> but otherwise. Yeah, there you go. But but I think Have that's either a, of you seen the black and white version of that yet? No. I guess it's on the Criterion. For some reason, they, they did a huh. in black and white. It's supposed to be huh. interesting. Much of Fury is, Road. Is, is that because he wanted to? or? Yeah, yeah. They wanted to shoot in black and white, it, it and they played, wouldn't let him. Oh no, that I don't know. I thought you meant to see he wanted a version of it because it played in theaters for like a week too. And it, uh, oh, I, I know, I know. George wanted to uh, do um, a black and white version of, uh, of um, Fury yeah, Road, like Fury Road, which I can get it. Which I haven't, I haven't brought my bring. My, I like Fury Road so much, I really can't bring myself. It's an to excuse watch to it. watch it again, Different even if version. you just saw it, because <laughs> it's it's pretty cool. Because it's not they didn't just take the color out. It's a it's a black and white film. It's uh, huh. yeah. Yeah, but it's a separate it's a separate Blu-ray you have to buy. Okay, I'll have to check it out. And, I, and yeah. worth it. And it really is. If you're like, I just watched this. You're like, but it wasn't black and white. Huh. I'll have to check I, it out. It's I, the I same love black cut. and white. 
No, I'm saying it's an excuse to watch it again, even if you feel like you just. I don't need an excuse to watch it again. It's not. It's not the same. It's not the same cut. I mean, it's the same cut. They just the same same cut. It's not different takes or anything like like Doctor X. There's two versions of Doctor X where the one they shot a Technicolor version and they also shot a black and white version, and there's lots of differences between them. But this is this is the same movie. Okay. Huh. I'll have to check it out. It, It is pretty interesting. Um, well, damn, Jim, well, well, anyway, thank you so thanks. much. I mean, if you're going to come on a show and be disappointing, I guess um, you, you did pretty good. But uh, well, if, if he only he was doing it in, in LA, person, Joe, he's, he's got an agent and all this. I, I like. I, you know, really are disillusioned, aren't you? I am. I am very. I want to find. There's a Jim Cummings out in Idaho making amazing movies who like wouldn't know what to do if an agent called him and be like, I don't. Know. Let's get that guy on next. Yeah, that's right. That's yes, yes. And uh, uh, I think we have a steel cage match with the two of you. But um, what's 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 up with beta test? When uh, when is it's it? coming out with IFC Films in November in the United States, and then it's coming out in a couple of different territories theatrically before then. But you'll be able to see it in theaters in November, right. and it is graphic and really funny. And I think you'll I think you'll laugh really hard. Graphic. But we will, of course, by then have watched our screener. That's, That's right. correct. <laughs> graphically, graphically violent or graphically naughty? Uh, a little bit of both. I'll send, hey, I'll I'll send you guys a copy I'm of in. it. I would, I would be honored if y'all watched a copy of it. I am in. Um, well, thank you so much. And then, and then I, I just, I, I, I'm so excited to see that and see what you come up with next. Um, really, thank you so much for coming on. It was a blast. To have you. Thanks, Jim. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Take it easy, y'all. Our show was recorded from several well-stocked bunkers. We can't wait to get back to beautiful downtown Burbank. We're the official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the movies that made me. Stay safe out there, folks. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.